The following program is being brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews is brought to you by Spirituality and Health Magazine, the Soul Body Connection. Visit SpiritualityHealth.com today. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon. Many of you have requested that we do a show on guilt. You've told me that guilt is running your life, and you don't know what to do about it. Well, here's how that works. Guilt tells us that we're going to feel really bad if we don't do blah, 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 or if we do blah, 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 and we don't want to have to live with that really bad feeling of guilt, so we do what it tells us to do. And very often what it is telling us to do is something we don't have really an authentic desire to do at all, and very often all of this is happening on a subconscious, if not unconscious, level. And in the process, we're building resentment into our lives and into our interactions with other people. We live on shoulds and ought tos instead of authentic compassion. And furthermore, when we question why we're doing that, the answer is that we should. Well, today, I brought an expert on guilt, an expert on many mind and body issues, really, Dr. Joan Borisenko, to talk with us about guilt. Joan Borisenko is a distinguished pioneer in integrative medicine, a world-renowned expert in the mind-body connection, and her work has been a foundation for an international healthcare revolution that recognizes the role of meaning and the spiritual dimensions of life as an integral part of the health and healing. She earned a doctorate in medical sciences from Harvard Medical School, where she also completed postdoctoral training in cancer cell biology. But after the death of her father, she became more interested in the person with the illness than the disease, and so she returned to Harvard Medical School to complete second postdoctoral fellowship in behavioral medicine and then a third in psychoneuroimmunology. The co-founded... Uh, She co-founded the Mind-Body Clinic and taught at Harvard Medical School, and she began to put together one best-selling book after another. One of those, put out in 1990, 20 years ago this year, in fact, is a wonderful little handbook for any of you who are struggling with guilt. It's called Guilt is the Teacher, Love is the Lesson. You can still get this book on Amazon and several other sites, and I encourage you to do so as a follow-up to our talk today. Joan's latest book, It's Not the End of the World, Developing Resilience in Times of Change, came out this past year and offers much in the way of helping us all through these difficult economic times. In it, she mentions guilt and shame as disempowering emotions. So we're going to talk today about both guilt and resilience as we try to understand the implications of guilt in our lives. So now, enough with that. Let's talk to Joan. Dr. Joan, thank you so much for being here today. I'm so glad to have you back, and I always love talking with you. I always love talking with you, too. Just what you said was so succinct and right on about guilt, Andrea, 
that I think I should just go have a cup of tea or listen to something they need. <laughs> Why don't we just have a cup of tea and chat about it? All How right. about that? <laughs> I do have a cup of tea here, so this is good. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, you know, what I want to tell you, that th- this book, Guilt is a Teacher, Love is a Lesson, is such a beautifully written and profoundly eye-opening book that I've shared it over the years with many people. And I have to say that when I went back to reread it in preparation for the show, I was so relieved to have it so clearly affirmed that I'm no longer being run by guilt as I once was. So that was the good news. But for so many whom I've heard uh, from and worked with over the past several years, it is literally killing them. And that's why I asked you here today to help us sort out the distinctions between living a so-called good life that's based in guilt and living an authentic life. Well, thank you, because it's, you know, sometimes it's overlooked. People just say, oh, well, guilt, everybody feels guilt. But in fact, if you're talking about being healthy physically, whether or not you're guilty can really make a profound difference, as I will explain. If you want to talk about feeling strong psychologically and emotionally, feeling centered and able to deal with whatever life hands you, once again, if you're guilty, that doesn't happen very well. And then the third thing is it obscures your spirituality because Guilt is based on an essential assumption that you're less than who you are. That is unhealthy guilt. So maybe I should start with the distinction between healthy and unhealthy guilt, Andrea. Absolutely. That was going to be my next question. That's great. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. We need healthy guilt. Healthy guilt is your conscience. You know, it's like the sociopath next door (laughs) who has no guilt, who will um, take advantage of other people, who at the very worst, because they feel no guilt or sense of responsibility to others, they're out of relationship with themselves, other people, and, uh, you know, what's right and wrong. So many crimes are committed by sociopaths. And, uh, you know, people who, who cheat, who take advantage of, and at the extreme who rape and kill, that's what having no guilt can lead to. Mm-hmm. So we need guilt. Healthy guilt is when the wholeness inside of us that knows what the right thing to do is has gone off track. You could say that guilt is your spiritual and psychological guidance system that gets you back on track. Let me give you an example of healthy guilt. I had a high school boyfriend who, uh, you know, pledged undying love to me (laughs) and that we had sex in high school. And he just right afterwards kind of turned mean and turned against me, and it was, it was very disturbing. It left me in a terrible state. And about three years later in college, I actually got a letter from him, and it was an apology. And it was saying his conscience had bothered him all of these years, that he had done something that was completely out of integrity, and that was that he had, he had another girlfriend And he just kind of took me on the side and then realized he couldn't do it and he was hurting her and he hurt me instead. And all the time he said it was really hurting him. And so he he asked if I could possibly forgive that. And I'll tell you, it was such a relief just to get that letter for me. Uh, I was instantly purged and cleansed of bad feelings about myself after that and also about grudges I was holding against him. But that's a demonstration of healthy guilt. He did something wrong, 
And you don't get much relief from that unless you change your course and you make amends, which is what he did. So unhealthy guilt is a totally different thing. Unhealthy guilt is not based on actually having done something that's out of order. Unhealthy guilt happens when you just feel whatever you do is never quite right. You can't please people. You can't please yourself. You're not sure whether you're going in the right direction. Um, Gosh, you know, you played video games for 10 minutes too long today, and now you feel like a loser. And that kind of unhealthy guilt is based on an innate sense of shame, which comes from childhood, when somehow or other you weren't really mirrored well by your caretaker, and a fear began to uh, arise which is the basis of of, um, really all psychologically based fear, not the kind of fear like a bear's in the driveway and you have to run, but (laughs) the kind of fear that something's going to happen, you won't please people, they'll abandon you. That's the basis of unhealthy guilt. And that leads to people-pleasing behavior and shoulds, which can drive you crazy for the rest of your life and can also severely impact your health as well as your peace of mind. Right, right. So really what we're talking about is, is an identification with shame that because you've got that foundation of shame, guilt becomes a way of interacting with the world. Absolutely. And, yep. you know, it's, it's like that old adage about you can't, the, the, fish, the fish can't talk about water because that's the medium he lives in, so you can't even see it about yourself. Mm-hmm. You think it's perfectly normal. And, you know, I can tell you, just in terms of child-rearing, uh, it's clear to me how these, things, how these things happen. I look at my grandchildren, who are so beautifully reared, in a way that a lot of children cannot be. They have mothers who actually stay at home with them, and when they have a need, it's responded to immediately. They smile, Mama smiles, they laugh, Mama laughs whatever it is, and they're growing up with such a healthy sense of self. Uh, It's quite amazing. By a year old, my youngest grandson is totally autonomous and absolutely comfortable in his own skin. Wherever he goes in, he's happy. He has that very good sense of attachment to his parents. And it's you know, we can't all stay home with our kids. I sure didn't. And they, they came out well enough, and they raised these beautiful grandchildren after all. Right. But uh, you can see that there is, uh, you know, like a, a, a Gaussian distribution, a curve between that kind of really fine parenting and the really kind of terrible parenting that's neglectful and produces a sociopath. But somewhere in the middle is how most of us were parented, and most of us have enough issues that unhealthy guilt has to be faced at some point during our our life as, you know, as part of our healing and growing. Right. Right. And and add to that our societal concerns and religious concerns. I have so many people who come in and say, well, you know, Andrea, I'm always raised Jewish, so I have some good Jewish guilt, or I was raised Catholic, and I have some good Catholic guilt. And so, you know, that's how they introduce themselves. <laughs> you know, well, that's absolutely true. Yeah. And um, religious guilt is a very, very big part of things. When you're mm-hmm. taught from an early age that you're a sinner, 
and that uh, barring special circumstances, you'll probably go to hell. That doesn't give you a very good sense of self to begin your life with. Absolutely. And then it compounds it by adding fear to the equation as well. Yep, that's right. And, uh, you know, there's so much in terms of of societies, what society puts on us. You know, it used to be that women carried a lot of guilt for simply wanting to be who they were. We had such limited roles. Mm -hmm. So that... um, you know, fortunately, some of the, we, we live in a society where we're beginning to face some of those issues, and that's a... That's Absolutely. A... Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll be back. We've got a good start on the definition now of healthy and unhealthy guilt. We're going to talk some more right after the break. Stay tuned. for a transforming world. Seventh Wave Network. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it will be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Tired of the government squandering your tax dollars on bailouts and overpaid bureaucrats? On Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Mike Beitler and his guests explain why big government regulations are the problem and innovative businesses and free markets are the solution. Listen to Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. When I found out my jeans were made using child labor in sweatshops, I wrote a letter to the company saying, reconsider your labor practices. A few months later, I get a letter back saying, thanks for being a loyal customer, and they included a coupon for a 25% discount on their jeans. So I got smart, wrote letters every day to all the stores that carry the brand, asking them to stop supporting the companies who use child labor in sweatshops. And I just kept getting letters back, thanking me for my concerns, and more coupons for more discounts on more jeans. So I'm telling my friend about it, and she flips out, saying that between all the letters and coupons, some paper company cut down a small forest, driving off two indigenous tribes, hundreds of endangered animals, killing thousands of plant species, some of which may have contained vaccines for HIV, cancer, and syphilis. Meanwhile, the guys cutting down the trees are 13-year-old kids who work night and day for months just to save up enough money to buy a pair of jeans made by child labor in sweatshops. Saving the world isn't easy, but saving a life is. Just one pint of blood can save up to three lives. Visit bloodsaves.com to learn more. This public service announcement was brought to you by the Ad Council. Listening on a higher dimension. Seventh Wave Network. listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. 
The Authentic Living Show is sponsored by Spirituality and Health Magazine, The Soul Body Connection. One of America's most prestigious spiritual magazines publishes six times a year and offers an amazing array of information for the seeker, both in print and online. Check them out at www.spiritualityhealth.com. Okay, so today we're talking with Dr. Joan Borsinko about um, guilt and what, how it can run our lives. And what we've done so far is we've um, defined guilt as both unhealthy and healthy. And uh, so I want to sort of pursue that a little bit further and talk about how, how do we know if our lives are being run by unhealthy guilt? Well, that's the big question, isn't it? Um, <laughs> you, you were uh, telling me, Andrea, that you had been rereading Guilt is the Teacher, uh, Love is the Lesson, and I had put in there 21 ways that you can tell whether unhealthy guilt is running your life. And I did that because most people really, they can't identify it. They don't realize, perhaps, that people-pleasing is a manifestation of unhealthy guilt for example. So if you've got the list in front of you, let's I, go through it. Yeah, I do. I absolutely do. And uh, I'm going to just read it out. It's not going to be um, the, you explained it so much better in the book, but I'm just going to read sort of the basic overview. Overcommitting ourselves, one of those manifestations, worrying, compulsive helping, which I, I think that's a big one for a lot of the people that I've spoken with, apologizing for yourself frequently, periods of anxiety that either wake you up in the night or you go through days or weeks where you're anxious, blaming yourself, worrying about what other people think of you, hating it when other people are angry with you, feeling like a fraud, that's my words, but it, you don't feel as good as other people think that you are. You might be a doormat. You never have time for yourself. You worry that other people are better than you. Uh, you, you use the words must and should or ought to, those kind of obligatory words a lot, or if you don't use the words, you have the thoughts. Um, can't, you can't stand being criticized. Um, you're perfectionistic. You worry that sometimes you might be selfish or maybe that you're being selfish anytime you think about yourself, really. Hate to ask for help. You can't take compliments. You worry that you'll be punished for your sins. You worry about your body and the possibility of illnesses, and you have difficulty saying no. And most people would look at that list and go, well, how does all those things have to do with guilt? But absolutely, if you come from a shame base, you can see how some of those would just manifest directly from that. Directly from it. So, yes, that's, that's the root, shame. And these are all the different flowers <laughs> on the plant mm-hmm. of, uh, of shame. Right. That's, um, that's so very true. And isn't it nice, Andrea, when you read a list like that, as we were saying during the break, and you realize, gosh, I made a lot of progress. Really? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm going, well, I have a little bit of that, but not these other things. <laughs> so that's right, real good. Exactly. And, of course, when I wrote the book, almost all of my books, and there are 15 of them, um, well, when my next book, Fried, comes out, there'll be 15, but... I write them all because I'm familiar with those issues from the inside out. And I always thought, as a psychologist, unless you truly understand something from the inside out, you can't help people too well or write about it that well because uh, when you really, they're your issues, Mm -hmm. you are intimate with them. Absolutely. I want to tell you listeners, there's help, because I used to be very intimately familiar with guilt, and it's not an issue at this point. Right, right. And the way it can run our lives is it can put us in overdrive. Mm 
so much so that we don't even aren't even paying much attention to what we're really up to. Well, that's right. And what it does is it masks your priorities because you don't actually feel like you have a right to have priorities. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you know, you don't take care of your body the way you should or give yourself the time uh, that you need perhaps for creative projects or to have fun or to rejuvenate yourself. And that leads to burnout. And one of the difficulties, of course, is that very idealistic people who do very good things in the world are often also run by guilt. And, and it always hurts my heart to see that because it, it makes it likelier that these are the people who are going to burn out, who can't set good boundaries. And you see it a lot, for example, in the clergy. Um, there was a New York Times article last week which said that um, this was the Duke Center for Theology and, uh, and Health, actually. In fact, Spirituality and Health magazine is prop, prop, no doubt will run something on this news article. But what they found was that a tremendous number, I forget the exact percent, of clergy were burned out because they could not manage to set boundaries and were available 24-7 and we're not taking the vacations that they were supposed to. So what they're trying to do now is have a program for clergy that says, look, you, you, you don't take a Sabbath for yourself because you're preaching on the Sabbath. You need to take Sabbath during a weekday. You need to take vacation. You need to turn your voicemail off at certain hours. And the inability to do that, feeling like you're free lunch for anybody who calls, and that a good person should always be available for everything, means that your priorities get trashed. Um, You have none. And eventually what will happen is that you'll become despairing or depressed, or you will develop a um, a physical illness. That's what happens. The stress really sets in, and it ripens into a sense of hopelessness when you realize trying to be good is not enough to have a happy life. What a sad irony that is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that whole idea of, of goodness is so big. And you're right, so many people that are out there today that are healers and um, uh, new age providers of healing of all kinds, new, new age, new thought providers of healings of all kinds, are not maybe may able to get that kind of workshop where they can learn about how they, um, you know, the clergy is getting this thing that, that's provided for them. But I know that there's other things that are being provided for healers to help them develop those boundaries. And one of those is the Omega Institute, where you're going to be in October. Will you tell us about that? Oh, I will. I'm so excited, Andrea, because soul care and health care has always been my interest. Ever since I started a mind-body clinic at Harvard, oh, all the way back in 1982, if you can believe it, mm-hmm. I felt the missing piece, really, of health care was helping people, helping people understand things like guilt, listening to them, um, helping them make a positive meaning out of their life story. And what we know now, because there have been many studies of this, is that the relationship between the healthcare provider and the client, the relationship is the medicine more than anything else. <laughs> this was from the dean of Harvard Medical School himself. He said, you know, uh, this is the main part of healing, whether it's helped along by surgery or uh, medications or other things. The relationship is really the heart of healing itself. 
and we're going to look at these things, everything from cross-cultural healing to what it is to deeply listen to another person, to these issues of faith, of guilt, of shame, of transcendence, uh, and we'll learn how to take care of ourselves. That's how you started this conversation off. As healthcare providers, we need to nurture our own souls. So I'm offering a six-month certificate program at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, which will be a five-day intensive late this October, another five-day intensive in May 2011. And then during the six months between, we'll be together on uh, teleseminar calls twice a month. And it's going to be truly a transformative learning community. So I'm very excited about that. If any of your listeners are interested, they can go to soulcare at joanborisenko.com or they can look in Spirituality and Health magazine where we have an ad for soul care and health care. So we're very excited and we're drawing a, a very interesting group of people together and hopefully we're going to be pioneers in the missing piece of medicine. Absolutely. And, and, you know, we don't want the missing piece in medicine to be the healer. That's right. Oh, so well said. Exactly. And, you know, the, the burnout rate in physicians, depending on specialty, can be up to 90%. And it's such a shame when you go into a profession because your, your whole being just wants to help. And instead, you end up with compassion fatigue. Uh, mm-hmm. You can't even stand to see the people who come to see you. Uh, you can't find compassion for yourself or for your loved ones, uh, and you just end up in a state of terrible despair. So we have to we have to not end up in states like that. There's a better way to live. Right. And I do find so much, and I know you're aware of this, that that that. So many people who are struggling with guilt, whether they're my clients or readers or listeners or whatever, who talk to me about it, really have the hardest time with that, that making that boundary, that saying no, that compulsive helping. They have the hardest time, you know, what you said, is turning off the voicemail, turning off the cell phone, making sure that nobody can get access to you for a while and making room for yourself. Because there's that argument in the head that says, I'm a good person only if... Only if I please everybody. And the fact of the matter is, if you're hard to get a hold of, there will be people who will be angry at you. Mm-hmm. There will be people who will call you selfish. There, will pe- there are people who will not understand. And therefore, part of learning to set a good boundary is learning to tolerate other people's um, anger. Mm-hmm. You know, my very, very good friend, Cheryl Richardson, um, has a wonderful new book called Extreme Self-Care. And in it, there's a great chapter. And she talks about a mentor of hers early on who said, if you're not disappointing someone every day, (laughs) your boundaries really need help. And he gave her homework. She had to actually disappoint someone every day and then deal with the consequences of, well, it wasn't what they liked, but it was right for her. And that's so important. But do you know what I find much more? Of course, there will always be people who will say, well, gee, I thought you were a much more available kind of person. How come a secretary answers the phone or something like that? But most people, if I put, um, put up a boundary, for example, on email, and like when I was writing Fried, 
I simply said I won't be available for, you know, whatever periods of time, sometimes a month at a time or two months. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, if, if there's an emergency, contact my secretary. What I got back were emails which said, oh, it was so good to see you taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, those are the people you want to hang out with anyhow, right? Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> yep, who, who respect your boundaries because they recognize that you're really in there. Well, that's right, because it's, a, it's been a reciprocal relationship. They care about me, and I care about them. And this is called an authentic relationship, which is what you're all about, Andrea. That's right, that's right. All right, well, we're going to be back in just a few more minutes to talk some more with Dr. Joan Borsenko about guilt. for a transforming world. Seventh Wave Network. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! Uh. There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. Drawing on resources from wellness communities throughout America and abroad, the show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. Stock prices plunging, home prices receding, and unemployment rising to levels not seen since the Great Depression. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time noon pacific time on the voice america business channel awakened media for a transforming world seventh wave network listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today with Dr. Joan Boroshenko about uh, guilt and uh, about her book, Guilt is the Teacher, Love is the Lesson, and about, also about her book, uh, It's Not the End of the World, Developing Resilience in Times of Change. So I um, wanted to talk just a little bit about, more about the whole idea of good and evil, and, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on that because I do want to move to, to sort of how we get healed of, of guilt. But I want to just uh, talk just a little bit about 
this whole idea of good and evil and what that means in a world where we in the world where we live and how that just sort of helps us create shame and, and guilt. Well, you know, certainly from a religious point of view, when when there's a sense that just by being born <laughs> we're sinful, uh, it, 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 it presupposes that there was a certain evil at the beginning of the world when Eve ate the apple and it was so-called disobedience to God. And, of course, there are many interpretations of stories like that. And I always like to remind people that there is no original uh, sin in Judaism, and that's originally a Jewish scripture. It's from Torah or Old Testament. And then within Christianity, uh, there was no concept of original sin, actually, until the 4th century, until um, St. Augustine. And if you look at it, it was, you know, it's an interesting thing. It was Augustine's way of trying to make sense of his life. There's an interesting story about early shame. Augustine, who was truly an exceptional, fascinating human being, uh, had an erection in the public baths when he was an adolescent. And you can imagine how humiliating that was. Mm-hmm. And he actually went back and he, he contemplated it and he wrote in his journals and he thought about it through the years and he said, if I have no free will over my sexual impulse, that must mean uh, I have no free will. What happened to my free will? And his conclusion was that, that humans had lost free will as a result of Eve, Eve's evil in the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is no joking matter, but I joke anyhow, and I say, you know, the whole history of Western civilization changed as the result of a single erection, showing <laughs> you <laughs> the power of sex. <laughs> but it was, and it's funny how things, um, because, because he was an extraordinary man, an extraordinarily powerful man, his own personal experience got translated into dogma. Mm-hmm. And this is a, it's a sad, sad thing. Yep. But when I look at good and evil, I can say evil, evil for me is the, is the wanton hurting of another person or hurting of the earth. I think that when we think of what is, what is evil, it's what separates us from our source of being, whether you call that God or consciousness or whatever it is, it separates us from ourselves or separates us from another person or separates us from the earth, which is our home, from nature, from our environment. So somebody who knows they're polluting. I lived in a town once with a man um, who was a landscaper, and he allowed the back of his property to be used to dump toxic waste. Mm. And that all that toxic waste got into the water system. It got into the water system, in fact, in the house in which I lived, and we drank from a well that was polluted with poison for 10 years. I don't know what the effect of that will be ultimately on our health, but he knew what he was doing. He knew that he was hurting people. Um, it wasn't an inadvertent hurt. It wasn't something that he made amends for. And well, I think that when I think about evil, that's what I think about, uh, an act that, with a complete disregard for, for life. And people can make amends for that, too. Yep. Uh, sometimes you just don't realize even what you're doing. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. Even if you know it, you don't realize it. Yep. Yeah. You know, you don't realize the consequences. Um, he was just thinking, well, you know, I'll just dump this stuff over there uh, without thinking through that stuff is going to go into the groundwater. Right. Right. And it polluted the wells for something like 500 homes. Right. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. We can certainly do those kinds of things. And, and we can, on the other extreme, spend our lives trying to be so right that we're wrong. <laughs> you know? Well, I, that's, that's exactly right. You know, it's a very interesting thing. My very good friend of mine, um, Wayne Muller, uh, Wayne's written a number of very fine books. Yes, he but, is. He yes, has you know Wayne, then. Yeah, he's coming that's on the show. Oh, he's great. Yep. And I don't know if you've seen his new book on, you know, uh, it's a, having a life that's enough. Yes. Because we're all doing too much. He has a great riff in there on the seven deadly sins. And what he says, look at them, lust, pride, envy, greed, you know, they can, the whole litany of them. Right. And he says the, the trouble with them is that, for example, when you feel greedy, you feel like there's something you really have to have to complete your life, what makes them sinful is that they just don't work. You acquire and acquire and acquire, and you're still not happy. Mm-hmm. They're not sinful because they're innately evil or that somebody, some lightning bolt is going to finish you off. It's just that they move you in the wrong direction, right. away from your authentic self, away from that sense of being uh, content with what you have. And Absolutely. I thought that was probably the best reading of the seven deadly sins I've ever, <laughs> I've ever been exposed to. Yeah, even that language, sometimes the word sin, is, it just carries such connotations, and the word evil carries such connotations. But basically what you're saying is that, and what Wayne was saying as well, is that we have, we have this capacity to make mistakes and to be blind and to go unconscious, but that doesn't necessarily make us evil people. No, absolutely not. And, of course, there is the whole aspect of redemption, I think the movies that people like the most are movies that are redemptive. Uh, for example, my favorite one was that Tom Hanks film, uh, Castaway, when oh, yeah. he lived this very busy life and he was completely unconscious of the people around him, including the woman he'd asked to marry. He was just on the clock and then his plane crashed and he was four years on a desert island. Mm-hmm. And he changed completely through this experience and came to realize, hey, I was going down the wrong road. I was on the wrong track. And the Tom Hanks, who had a time out to look at what his life looked like, uh, was completely transformed. And that's what we like about a movie is when the light goes on for somebody and they're able to to take a different course. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. One of the things you say in Guilt is the Teacher, Love is the Lesson is that we're healed in lots of different ways, of course, but the primary road is remembering. So what is it that we're remembering, and why does that help? We're remembering, actually, who... It, this sounds so abstract, so bear with me, and then we'll, we'll get it down to brass tacks. We're remembering who we really are. We're remembering, you know, we're a part of the earth. We're a part of other people, um, there's one energy field out of which everything emerges from the ocean to the fish um, to the birds to the human beings, that we are part of that whole. And we deserve, to, we deserve to take up space on this earth. That's the basic healing of shame. 
when you're ashamed, you feel like you don't even have any right to the air that you breathe. Uh, you don't have a right to be here. And when you realize you're part of the whole, you're precious because you are part of the whole. There's nothing to prove or nothing to do that just by virtue of being human and showing up, then that's enough. Uh, that's a tremendous healing. Yeah. Yeah, that whole idea that, that, that we are, we are, have to have a purpose and we have to be good people, you know, while I don't totally disagree with either one of those two statements, they can be very blurring in the fact that they can keep us from recognizing that who we are, I mean, like the flower or the tree, it's good enough just the way it is. It doesn't have to become, an oak tree doesn't have to become a pine tree in order to be a better person. Better tree. <laughs> well, know. so true. And then there's one of Mary Oliver's poems. I forget which one it is, but you know the the kind of last last line. And this is a terrible paraphrase because it's not in front of me. But she says, you know, what's wrong with being a rose in a field of roses where you don't have to worry about whether you're being a good enough rose or you know <laughs> what you'll come back as yeah, <laughs> after you absolutely. die. Absolutely, she's a beautiful poet. She's oh, my favorite poet. I love her work. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. And so, what basically the idea is, who we are is good enough, and we don't have to try to measure up to some standard. Well, that's right. We have to be ourselves. This is your once again. What is authentic living? You have to be yourself and act in accord with your own gifts and talents, mm-hmm. and offer those where you can, because that's when you feel best. We always are feeling best when we're creating from our soul. So, for example, I'm a writer. That's what I do best. Or I'm an inspirational speaker. I do those things best. And if I go look at someone else and I say, oh, look at Andrew Harvey with his sacred activism, I'm not as good as he is because I should be out there doing something to change the world, then what am I doing but denying my own gifts and denying I am who I am? I'm not a community organizer. I'm not something else. And I think about my sister-in-law just died. She was a very, very beautiful, beautiful being. And when, you know, when people stood up to talk about who she had been, what everyone said is she was the kindest person that I have ever met. She was so kind. Now, she did not have to discover, you know, a vaccine for AIDS or do anything other than be herself because her very presence was so transformative for people. It was like walking into a smile. And we all have something which is really an expression most deeply of who we are. We need to live authentically from that. And then the idea of, you know, am I good enough just fades away. It, it, It can't live in that kind of a mindset. And, you know, once again, the old, the old Hasidic teachers said, who knows truly their life purpose? Um, sometimes if you think you have a big purpose, you get all puffed up, and <laughs> then, then you get so prideful that that gets in the way of really living from your authentic self. Absolutely, absolutely. So well said, John. Thank you so much. That was beautifully said. And we're going to be back for our final segment with Dr. John Borosinko in just a few minutes, so stay tuned. Awakened me. 
media for a transforming world. Seventh Wave Network. America is facing a skilled workforce shortage. SkillsUSA can help. What is SkillsUSA? SkillsUSA is life-changing. SkillsUSA is awesome. SkillsUSA is one of the biggest opportunities life can give you. SkillsUSA is amazing. SkillsUSA is motivating. SkillsUSA specifically prepares you for the workforce. SkillsUSA empowers students to connect with a network of people, starting with their classmates, to their advisors, to other people in their states. SkillsUSA allows students to connect with business and industry, to manage their education, and to really get a feel of the real world. I'm doing something now that's going to be applicable in the real world, and those skills are going to be useful today in school and in five years when I'm working and for the rest of my life. On the web at SkillsUSA.org. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Well, it's sad but true, but we've reached our final segment with uh, John Borsenko today talking about guilt. But And before we go, I want to make sure that you, listening audience, get an opportunity to find out what she's up to in other ways besides just this wonderful show we've had. <laughs> um, so um, tell us about what you're up to, John. Well, first of all, I'm putting the, the finishing touches, Andrea, on my new book, Fried. Isn't that a great title? It is a great title. It's not a great way to be, but it's a great title. And the subtitle is Why We Burn Out and How to Revive. And we actually covered a little bit of that today. Mm-hmm. That will be in bookstores in December. Uh, it makes a great Christmas present because reviving is a wonderful New Year's resolution. There you go. But I am, it's a very exciting year. I'm doing a lot of really interesting things. We already talked about the launch of my new soul care and health care certificate training. But then I'm doing things that are fun, that are going to revive me as well as other people. And the most exciting is a trip that I'm taking to Egypt for two weeks. We're leaving on the 4th of November. And I'm traveling with Nikki Scully. And Nikki, Nikki and I will, will, I mean, she'll lead the trip through the Egyptian part, and I'll teach and she'll teach and... She really is a shaman of the Egyptian mysteries, 
and the best person to experience Egypt with. And if people want information on that or any of my other programs, all they need to do is go to my website, which is just my name, joanborisenko.com. It's B-O-R-Y-S-E-N-K-O, joanborisenko.com. And they'll find the Egypt trip. They'll also find a wonderful uh, trip to Costa Rica. Uh, Omega Institute actually has a satellite campus in Costa Rica, and I haven't been before, so we get to go in the best time of year, which is at the end of January, when it's very snowy up here at 9,000 feet in the Colorado Mountains. So that will be a great thing. And then I'm doing a cruise, a mind-body-spirit cruise that's on my website. It's a Caribbean cruise, and it's in the beginning of March. And then at the end of March, I'm doing something very special with a man by the name of Lee McCormick. And Lee is um, really a remarkable person in the recovery movement. He, uh, he owns a recovery center called The Ranch, actually, uh, outside of Nashville, Tennessee. And it's his premise that we could do more in the recovery movement, that we have to get at some of these deeper issues as to how we perceive reality. And he studied for eight or nine years with Don Miguel Ruiz. And with um, he, Lee uh, and a colleague created something they called the Dreaming House, which is in Teotihuacan, Mexico. And Teotihuacan is an amazing archaeological site of pyramids and pathways that Don Miguel believes was a mystery school for the Toltec shamans. And Lee leads a very remarkable shamanic journey uh, while you're there in Teotihuacan, and he and I are going to co-lead such a journey May 24th through 29th. And I highly recommend it. I would say it's one of the most life-changing things that I have ever done. And so, once again... It's not even up on my website yet, but people can go to information at spiritrecovery.com, information at spiritrecovery.com, and get information on that Teotihuacan trip. And also, Lee and I will be doing a public program, I think it's October 3rd, uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, So uh, people might enjoy that and take a look at Mind, Body, and Spirit from a very deep perspective. Okay, wonderful. Well, you are going to be very busy over the next several months. And I know, isn't we'll it exciting? For it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, next year is shaping up in a great way. It's just one more, one more reason to be grateful. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, we have just a few more minutes left, and, and so we can't get into a whole lot of depth, but I do want to uh, talk just a, just a minute about the, the idea that you put forth in your latest book, It's Not the End of the World, Developing Resilience in Times of Change, which I call the Resilience Book. And uh, you, what you said is that there's three poisons that lead to pessimism. One of those was taking things personally. The other one was seeing problems as pervasive. And the other was believing that your problems are permanent. And I wanted to say just a minute about how that is very different. I mean, the idea that those things come from shame uh, first, and then the, the other idea that that is so very different from the acceptance that you recommend in uh, the resilience book 
that has to do with really looking a problem right in the eye, and that's so very different from the guilt perspective. So. Oh, totally. And, of course, you know, these three poisons of pessimism um, come from the work of Martin Seligman. He defines pessimism as your explanatory style. In other words, when something bad happens, what's your inner dialogue? How do you explain it? And a pessimist responds with those three Ps, what I call the three poisons, of taking it personally, it's all my fault, and so it goes into a whole guilt thing. And it is not about taking responsibility, because a true pessimist, everything is all their fault. Um, my mother was like this. It drove me crazy. Everything was all her fault. Then the second P, as you mentioned, is pervasive. You know, if you think, well, gosh, that guy dumped me and it's all my fault because my thighs are fat or whatever it is or I'm just not good enough, pretty soon you start to think, and my whole life is, is lousy. Look at what's wrong here. I don't have the job that I want or I don't have so much money as I want or things like that. And then the third of the three Ps after personal and pervasive, as you said, is permanent. And you'd say to yourself, well, if I'm a loser now, I'm always going to be a loser. Mm-hmm. And Seligman sums that kind of really toxic thinking up as it's all my fault. I uh, mess up everything I do, and it's the story of my life. And this will lead to despair and depression and a sense of helplessness to really change your world and to realize different possibilities, to create the life that you want. And what it does is it stultifies you and it leads to depression. I think that probably Seligman has the best model of why it is that we become depressed. And all of it does, it stems from this original feeling of shame. So it, um, you know, whereas in, in order to be resilient, you do as you said and look like I authentically. <laughs> right, right, right. All right, Joan, well, it's been wonderful talking with you today. I wish we could go on for a couple more years. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Thank you so very much. I appreciate it so much. And next week, we're going to be talking to Gary Zukoff about spiritual partnership as a way of developing authentic power. So stay tuned for that. That's going to be on the 11th of August. And um, just remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week. 